Hi, it's me again, and here we are in the middle of the book of Revelation, Revelation 6 through 14, and this is apocalyptic, as we talked about before, kind of a different genre of writing. It takes a little bit of work to understand. I'm so grateful for these uh, manuals that we have. In the Come Follow Me manual itself, I love how they divide it up with just one sentence. I mean, this is the 30,000-foot view Think of President Uchtdorf flying over the land and getting the big picture. Like on page 202, John saw many events of Earth's history, especially those of the latter days. That's Revelation 6 through 11. Revelation 12 through 13, the war in heaven continues on Earth. And then Revelation 14, six and seven, verses 6 and 7, I saw another angel having the everlasting gospel. Wow, right there, what have we got? John saw events of the earth's history, the war in heaven, and I like in my teaching to call it the war which began in heaven, because I, I agree, the war, it just we just switched <laughs> venues. <laughs> we're, we're now here. The issues are the same. Will we choose to act and follow God, or will we choose to act in ways that get us addicted and lose our agency? Oddly enough, the people who are critical of us and our faith, our young people in particular, oh man, you guys, you can't do anything. You can't drink, you can't party, you can't get addicted to this or that. And that's the funny thing. They're, they're, they're saying, funny, strange thing, is that you guys have no freedom. And the very things they're talking about that we choose not to do are the things that take away freedom. You know, <laughs> freedom to. Freedom from addiction is what we're after, so that we still have the power to choose. So yeah, the war in heaven continues on earth. And then the restoration, I saw another angel having the everlasting gospel. So first of all, if you want more information about these the seven seals, I highly recommend go to your library app on your phone, Library Adults, Young Adults Institute, Get the Institute Manual, boy, on page 143, a really good description of the first six seals and what they are. If that's too much and you're just trying to get a a sense of the 30,000-foot view here, the place I really want to go is, is Revelation 12, to be honest. I just think that in that chapter, we have some really great things to talk about. One of them would be the idea of this name for Satan, which to me is so descriptive of what he does. So I'm looking at Revelation 12, 10. I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, now has come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before God before our God, day and night. So I put in my margin on page 1,577 of my Bible, I put my margin advocate or accuser. I like that they both start with A, but Jesus is our advocate. He's on our side. 
What's that song? Be still thy soul. The Lord is on thy side. He's on our side. He is our advocate, advocating our cause. And then there's the accuser. And Satan doesn't play fair. He tempts you to do something and says, no one will know, and it's no big deal. And then if you do it, he immediately says, oh, how could you do that? And he becomes the accuser. So we don't want to follow that. We would rather follow our advocate. And then verse 11 of Revelation 12, they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. They loved not their lives unto the death or valued their lives. They were willing to sacrifice their lives, I think, is what that means. And there are martyrs who show us that throughout history. But the idea of overcoming him, the accuser, by the blood of the lamb tells us that one of the weapons that we had in this war which began in heaven was the atonement of Jesus Christ is the blood of the Lamb. And also in our theology, this was plan A, not plan B, as our friend Brad Wilcox said, that the atonement wasn't, oh no, now what do we do? Adam and Eve fell and ruined everything. No, the atonement was the plan from the beginning. And we somehow, the power of the atonement was something that was known in the pre-mortal existence and was a weapon and by the word of their testimony. So with my students, I love to talk about, when we talk about the war which began in heaven, what kind of a weapon do you use for spirits who can't die? What kind of war is that? Well, it's a different kind of war, isn't it? It's not a war of casualties and, and death tolls. It's more a war of loyalty or ideas. Who will we follow? And that was what the war in heaven was about. And he was overcome by our testimony. And when I think about testimony and war, I'm immediately reminded of Paul's, the Apostle Paul's description of the armor of God in Ephesians chapter 6, where a warrior is described, a breastplate of righteousness, a shield of faith, a helmet of salvation, loins girt about with truth, feet shod with preparation of the gospel of peace, and then an actual weapon and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So the sword of the Spirit, having our, His Spirit to be with us, which is the Word of God, don't think just the Scriptures, but the continuous revelation that comes is is our sword. And I like the idea that that is our weapon, a word, add, add the letter S to word, and you get sword. And it reminds me of, in the war chapters in the Book of Mormon, I think Moroni and Pahoran are writing letters back and forth, Alma 60, 61, whatsoever we cannot, let's see, whatsoever in Alma 61, when Pahoran is writing back to Moroni, verse 14, Therefore, my beloved brother Moroni, let us resist evil. Whatsoever evil we cannot resist with our words, this is a war in heaven type thing, such as rebellions and dissensions, let us resist them with our swords, that we may retain our freedom, that we may rejoice in the great privilege of our church 
and in the cause of our Redeemer and our God, the privilege of our church. My goodness, I hope we look at it that way. What a privilege. Organized religion gets a bad rap these days. That's another topic for another time. But I love that Pahoran calls it the great privilege of our church. And then he goes on in verse 15 of Alma 61. Give uh, Lehi and Tianc power to conduct the war in that part of the land according to the Spirit of God, which is also the Spirit of Freedom. Oh, what a great verse. The Spirit of God, which is also the Spirit of Freedom. So what was that war in heaven about? Being free to choose. And how do we overcome? By the word of our, by the blood of the Lamb, and by the word of our testimony. Now, I wanted to talk for a little bit more about Satan being the accuser, the accuser of the brethren. So, I have a book in front of me by S. Michael Wilcox called "Who Shall Be Able to Stand: Finding Personal Meaning in the Book of Revelation." Let's see. This is Deseret Book, published 2003. Wow, 20 years ago. And he talked about this a little bit. So let me read from page 172. Satan is called the accuser of our brethren, which accused them before our God day and night. A good example of Lucifer in this role is found in the book of Job. Presenting himself before the Lord, he accuses Job of worshiping God for purely selfish motives. Doth Job fear God for naught? He tauntingly addresses the Lord. Hast thou not made an hedge about him, and about his house, and about all that he hath on every side? Thou hast blessed the work of his hands, and his substance is increased in the land. But put forth thine hand now, and touch all that he hath, and he will curse thee to thy face. When Job passes the first test thrown at him by Satan, another accusation is leveled against him. Skin for skin, yea, all that a man hath he will give for his life. But put forth thine hand now, and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse thee to thy face. Though deprived of all that he has, including his children, broken in health, covered with boils, sitting on an ash heap, Job maintains his testimony. Remember that John identifies testimony, knowledge of the Savior's final victory over the adversary, as the power that enables the brethren to overcome the accuser. Though he slay me, Job proclaims, yet will I trust him. He also shall be my salvation. Those accused in Revelation also loved not their lives unto the death. That's Revelation 12:11. Notice how Job's stirring testimony of Christ incorporates the elements of Revelation 12. This is Job. I know that my Redeemer liveth, and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth, and though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God. That's Job 19, 25 and 26. Even death, the last weapon of the accuser's arsenal, will finally be vanquished. God's answer to the devil's accusation is the confidence he has in his children. They will love, they will love worship, and trust me no matter what happens to them, he seems to reply. You may bring whatever trials you wish upon them, but they will not abandon their faith in me. You have falsely accused them. How many hope-filled truths are contained in Revelation 12? Though the war once commenced in a world we no longer remember, the enemy was defeated. With the help of the atoning blood of the Lamb, the power of our own testimonies, 
the radiant woman with her crown of apostles and the growth to manhood of the man-child, what have we to fear? We must trust Christ in spite of life and Lucifer's proving tests, thus denying him of his greatest accusation. This knowledge must sustain us as we encounter the realm of the beast, the whore, and the great merchant city of Babylon that next pass before the wandering eyes of John. So once again, when we look at this from 30,000 feet, what do we see? Events of the earth's history, especially those in the latter days. The war in heaven continues on earth. And then I saw another angel having the everlasting gospel. So in Revelation 14.6, we have the phrase, I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth and to every nation and kindred and tongue and people. Notice there's four groups there. I love it when the earth is described in the number in the number four, north, east, west, south, the four quarters of the earth, every nation, kindred, tongue, people. Now, in the Come Follow Me manual, page 202, it says, one fulfillment of the prophecy in these verses occurred when Moroni appeared to Joseph Smith and led him to the records that he translated and published as the Book of Mormon. So, is this angel Moroni? Well, that is one fulfillment. I think the manual's careful to say that. I um, am reminded of an angel flying in the midst of heaven, that wording, I'm reminded of the first Moroni on top of the Nauvoo temple was actually, he was flying horizontally. He was actually like a weather vane, still had a trumpet in his hand, but was fl flying horizontally. And uh, later, now we have him standing on the temples. If you look at the Salt Lake temple, which is all under renovation now, but you will see a trumpet in his right hand, and his left hand, he's not holding anything, it's just at his side. There are some depictions of the statue of Moroni, for example, Washington, D.C. temple, where in his right hand is the trumpet, and in his left hand are the plates. And I always think of that when I read Revelation 14, 6, having the everlasting gospel to preach to them that dwell on the earth. He's holding the Book of Mormon, which teaches the doctrine of Christ, as does the Bible, faith, repentance, baptism, Holy Ghost, the processes of faith in Christ, the process of repentance, the ongoing process of repentance. I think the process of being born again begins with baptism and the process of following the Holy Ghost, this lifelong application of the, of the doctrine of Christ that we're all trying to do. So when I think of Moroni coming with the everlasting gospel, I think of that Moroni with the Book of Mormon in his left hand. Now, there are other angels, it says in the Come Follow Me manual, who have participated in restoring the everlasting gospel. And then it says, see Doctrine and Covenants 13. Oh, that's John the Baptist. See Doctrine and Covenants 110. We remember after the dedication of the Kirtland Temple that Moses and Elijah appeared. And I always think of the lines from the hymn, The Spirit of God Like a Fire is Burning, the visions and blessings of old are returning and angels are coming to visit the earth. And it's fascinating to think about. Sometimes people have a hard time with the idea of the first vision. 
Well, <laughs> there's more. It wasn't just God the Father and Jesus Christ that appeared, but there were also, with the Father and the Son, angels. John the Baptist, Peter, James, and John, Moses, Elias. I mean, this is incredible. The angels that appeared to bring the everlasting gospel. And so that sounds pretty audacious, doesn't it? And we believe it happens to be true. And it makes sense that not only would God reveal himself again in power and glory, but these angels having delegated keys and so forth would return. And I think of all of that when I think of another angel having the everlasting gospel. Perhaps there's multiple fulfillments of that, not just Moroni, but others who came and restored, restored power and keys. So once again, what's Book of Revelation about? Well, it's the story of a world that has fallen and how this world will be redeemed. And how will we prevail in this war in heaven that continues on earth? by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of our testimony. I hope that's helpful, and we'll talk to you next time.